Thanks, man. Good morning. You guys doing all right? Cool. Awesome. Well, my name is Marco. I'm the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse Community. Just making sure that I'm on. Um, the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse Community. Thank you so much for joining us and worshiping alongside of us. So glad that you guys are here. I got a couple of things for you. Some of these kind of pair with what Nathaniel was just talking about. Uh, but before I dive into those, if you would open your Bibles with me, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3. We're, we're turning a new page. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. While you turn your Bibles to that, I got two quick things. Uh, the first one I mentioned this last week in the Back Connect area. We have these uh, scripture journals. These are published by Crossway uh, Publishers. These are really, really cool journals. Uh, we want to give these away. This is our gift to you. Uh, this follows along with uh, the letter or the epistles of First and Second Peter, along with Jude. I know many of you like to take notes during the sermon, or you like to take notes during your personal uh, Bible study, and so that's exactly what this is. And so we got a couple uh, of these journals left. So after service or whatevs, go to the back, grab one before they run out. This one, this, someone can have this. This is merely a display. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so this is, our, this is our gift to you. So please pick one up. That's that. The second thing is, uh, I, I mentioned this last week and the week before, uh, two weeks ago, we started this thing called the Grace Initiative. It was a three-week giving campaign, or it is a three-week giving campaign, where our goal, our desire is to raise $1,000. Uh, and the goal of this money is for it to go back into our community groups so that our community groups can then go back out into our city and our community uh, to bless those who are in need, to bless uh, some of our missional partnerships. Uh, the idea behind that is we wanted to provide grace provisionally, but we also wanted to speak grace into the lives of those whom we are serving, which uh, ties into a couple of things. Number one, if, if you're not a part of a community group, please consider joining a community group. Uh, through community groups is where we funnel almost everything. We funnel discipleship. We funnel care. All of those things go through community group, but this also includes mission. So if you want to join us on mission, everything gets funneled through the life of our community group. So that is number one. Number two, as far as the Grace Initiative is concerned, today is going to be the last day, the last Sunday that we're going to be running this Grace Initiative. And so like last week and the week before, we're going to have two offerings. We're going to have an offering right after the sermon, and that is just geared towards tithes and offerings. And then the second one is going to be a special offering where all that money goes directly back into the Grace Initiative. Now, here's one thing that I love about our church. Every time that, uh, at the very least, when I've hung out with many of you, and I'll, I'll present a couple of things, some updates, it's just taken very rationally, like, yeah, that's good. Great. Okay, so I hope, I hope this kind of excites you. So our goal was $1,000. We're only two weeks in, this being the last one. So far, you have raised $1,200 specifically for the Grace Initiative. Yeah, that's a big deal. And so again, this money is going to go back into our community groups so that they can go and serve our city and community. Some of this money is also, because we've gone over, is also going to go toward that mercy ministry that Nathaniel was talking about so we can kind of get some momentum as we move forward. And so, yeah, if you have any questions about the Grace Initiative, man, hunt me down after service. I'd love to talk to you about that. Uh, I think those are all the announcements I have. If you're new, thanks for hanging out with us. Connect cards on the chair. Would love to hang out with you. Fill one up. Drop it in the offering basket. Uh, but other than that, let's, uh, let's dive into Scripture, yeah? Um, 
Okay, so I'll read where we're headed, or better yet, before I read where we're headed, let me kind of give you a brief uh, introduction. In this introduction, I'm going to recap a little bit about what we've covered over the last couple of weeks as we have been in First Peter. And so I want to begin by really saying that the beauty of God isn't only that he breathes life into our bones or that he revives our dead hearts through his word, but that afterward and purposely our design is meant and made to reflect his character and namely his glory. In a culture that communicates its own truth or has a variety of agendas labeled as truth, the Christian stands as an exile. That's one of the things that Peter uh, refers to Christians as in this letter, that we stand as exiles. Not because we are better and culture is bad, but because God has set us apart. And as exiles, we are not only passing through this life, not only are we passing through this world, but we are passing through with a mission. In other words, not only do we belong to God, but because of the work of God in Christ, the entirety of our lives is affected. You see, here at Storehouse, we believe that the gospel affects change in every aspect of our life. Not just Sunday mornings and not just some boost of morality, but that the gospel affects change in every aspect of our lives. As we have walked through 1 Peter, this is that little recap, as we have walked through 1 Peter, we have learned... We have learned that uh, the work of God for us, in other words, who God says we are as a result of what Jesus has done, gives us a new identity. We have learned that because of the gospel, you and I are a part of a body. You and I are actually considered church family because we are interconnected through the person and work of Jesus. Last week we talked about because of the gospel, you and I are free to submit and to serve because our king submitted and served and suffered for us. All of these things, the aim of all of this is the glory of God, our good, and so that many would be won over to Christ. As exiles, the pursuit of holiness impacts everything, including marriage. Including marriage. Now, as I dive into this, some of you may check out. Stay with me for a second, right? Or the next hour. Stay with me, because this is for you as well. You see, the gift of marriage is, is not one that demonstrates spiritual maturity. So some of you might believe that, that the gift of marriage demonstrates spiritual, spiritual maturity, that you've obtained some level of holiness that maybe some singles haven't or that other people haven't. And that's simply not true. Additionally, some of you may think or believe or buy into that the gift of marriage is meant to demonstrate that your life is actually going according to plan. That's not its design. That's actually called idolatry. The gift of marriage, however, is meant to reflect the beauty and glory of God to one another and those around you. In the shortest way, 
the easiest way, the most tweetable way, every marriage preaches a sermon about Jesus. Every marriage preaches a sermon about Jesus. Now, while this sermon is geared toward marriage, those of you who are single, I'm just talking to you. This is me and you talking right now. My encouragement to you is to be quick to listen and slow to speak. I would start there. I actually have three more points. To be quick to listen and slow to speak. Now, why do I say that? Well, here's the first reason. I fully get that sometimes it's hard. Like sometimes it's just really hard and heavy, and for lack of a better word, and you can comment on this online, whatever, for lack of a better word, sometimes it just sucks. I get it. And, and your worth, your value is not found in marriage. If you place your value, if you place your theology, your ideology in saying that, man, once I obtain marriage, then my life will be complete, then we have bought into a false God and will be sorely and continually disappointed. So that's number one, that your worth, your value is not found in marriage but your worth and value is found in the person and work of Christ and the joy that is found as a result of his finished work on the cross. Number two, my encouragement to you would be to guard your heart from idolatry. Guard your heart from idolatry. The only way you're going to be able to guard your heart from idolatry is not by leaning on the practical, but by leaning on the Word of God, which means your Bibles must be open, which means you must be immersed in the Word of God. Guard your heart from idolatry. We're going to talk about that a little bit more today, but guard your heart from idolatry. Number three is kind of more for married people. Married people, this is kind of just a heart check The heart check is you haven't arrived. In fact, I would encourage you to look at point number one, point number two for those who are single. Number one, that your worth isn't found in your marriage. That just because I said that to single people doesn't mean, well, I'm out of that. You're not exempt and you have not arrived. Your worth is not found in your marriage, but in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That does affect your marriage, however. And number two, the same thing, I would highly, strongly encourage you to guard your heart against idolatry. The lie there is, I've arrived, and I'm good, and we have crosses on our wall, so we're okay. Guard your heart from idolatry so that you too would find yourself immersed in the Word of God. And so with that being said, Now that we kind of covered some ground, let's dive into what the Apostle Peter has to say for wives and husbands. And the way I'm going to lay out today is really we're just going to go bullet point by bullet point and verse by verse. Here is what Peter says beginning in verse 1. 
He says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of your hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening." Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray, and then we'll dive in. God, as we come to your word, may our hearts be not only receptive, but humbled. Holy Spirit, would you be at work, not only in me, speaking through me and really just setting me aside, but would you also be at work in the lives and hearts of my brothers and sisters? That your words would be taken from their ears to their hearts. That they would sit in a position of conviction, not because, uh, man, of all of this sin, but so that they would realize that their hope, like mine oftentimes, is not in your work, but in myself. God, I pray that those who know you would come to know you more in this time, and that those who don't know you would come to know you. God, I pray that this would, this time of worship would glorify you, and we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. You guys ready? Here we go. All right, so we're going to go verse by verse. As I mentioned, I kind of want to go bullet points because I think Peter is very plain in what he's addressing uh, wives and husbands. Um, I know a few uh, of you that I talked to this week. I said, yeah, we're going to be talking about wives and husbands. And some were like, I don't know if I'll be there. No, you'll, it's okay. Don't worry. Because all of this aims at the glory of God, all right? And so here we're going to park in the beginning of verse 1 because I think we're going to spend the most time on this one. And so Peter writes, I'm going to repeat a lot of this, but Peter writes, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. We've got to unpack that. Uh, we got to answer some questions, some of which are the same from last week. And so the first thing I want you to know is that Peter is telling or talking to wives, ladies, he's talking to you. He's saying, submit biblically. Now, that already may get you to stand up a little bit straighter, and I don't know what you're talking about, and uh, yeah, I, man, I, I, okay. So, here we go. Peter says to submit biblically, but we need to address what all that means if we're going to be uh, honoring God in this marriage. And so, the first thing I want you to notice, if you look at the verse, Peter says, likewise, wives, be subject. That's another way of saying submit to your own husbands. I love that because he says to your own husbands, not to men. He's not saying submit to all men. He's not saying submit to other men. He's saying to your husbands. This is applying to the wife and to the husband. 
Now, I want to park here, and in and out of this, I do want to address some of the men. Oftentimes, when we see some of this language, uh, because, you know, sometimes we have the mind of a 10-year-old, you want to make crude jokes. This isn't the time or the place. And so if you want to sit up straight and address some funny joke about subjection or submission, repent now. And so he says, likewise, we wives be subject to your own husband. So he says to submit biblically to your own husband. And so we need to unpack a couple of questions. Number one, what is not counted as biblical submission? What is not counted as biblical submission? I would say what's not counted as biblical submission is that if you find yourself in a marriage or in a relationship where there is abuse, where there is infidelity or adultery, in fact, what I would do and encourage you, especially if there is a relationship or you're in a relationship where there is abuse, where there is sexual abuse, where there is physical abuse, where there is emotional abuse, you can step out of that. In fact, James and I would love to hear about what's going on. And if we can serve you in any way in that, please let us. That's not what biblical submission means. I've heard pastors, I've read articles that would even encourage some women to step back into that because of verses like this. They would say, well, submit to your husbands. That is not what this means. So then it does lead us to the next question. So what is counted as biblical submission? This is the same definition that we used last week. Biblical submission is a willing, I want to highlight that, is a willing denial of self a yielding of our rights for the benefit and blessing of others. In other words, the Christian submits because they belong to God first. It's a willing denial of self, a yielding of our rights for the benefit and blessing of others. That's what we would define biblical submission as. And so again, it leads to the next question. Well then, what does biblical submission look like? Is there a picture of what biblical submission looks like? And what I would want to tell you, and so number one, I would say yes, we're actually going to go back to Genesis 1 through 3. But what I would also say is that what we're going to see is God's original design for what was good and pleasing and brings him the most glory. But we're also going to see a template. This template still may raise questions. And I'd love to talk to you afterward. I just can't address all of those questions now. So let's look at what biblical and complementary submission looks like. Let's go to Genesis 1. Okay? So the first thing that I want to walk through, and we're going to walk through a series of this in Genesis 1, right? Here's what we're going to see. The first thing is that in the beginning, God created man. And I'm skipping through verses a lot. You're going to look at uh, Genesis 1, chapter, or excuse me, chapter 1, verse 27. Actually, I want to take it back to verse 26. He says, uh, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds in heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. Here's a couple of things that I want you to notice from this. That the creation of man by God is a reflection of God himself. He says, let us create man in our image. Uh, we see a Trinitarian picture at the beginning of creation. We see the Father, we see the Son, we see the Holy Spirit at work together in unity, uh, making creation happen. And so what we see in the Trinity is we see uh, distinct 
uh, distinctiveness, that each one is distinct from another, uh, that there are some distinct differences between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. However, they, are, uh, they all have each role. They are equal but distinct. That's a better way of saying it. I kind of got lost in a minute there. That we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are equal in authority, but they are distinct in their roles. And so that's what we're going to see in light of the creation of man and woman, that they are going to be equal in God's sight in terms of God's value toward them, that they are equal, but they are distinct in their roles. You fast forward, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, and then jump into verse 20. Beginning in verse 18, the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Right? That word helper. You're going to underline that. It's really important. We're going to go back to that. Beginning in verse 20, uh, or was it 20? Yeah, it's 20 to 22. The man gave names to all livestock and all the birds of heaven and to every beast of the field. But Adam, but for Adam, excuse me, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Check it. I love this part, right? Because here we are seeing how God creates woman. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things. Number one, we don't know how long Adam was single. The Bible doesn't tell us how long he was on his own. He could have been on his own for days. He could have been alone for months. Maybe it was years. Perhaps it was decades. We don't know. But at some point, we do know that God created woman from his flesh. Now, it says that God created him so that she would be a helper fit for him. I told you to underline that word helper. The Hebraic word for the word helper means someone who fills in the gaps which then leads us to learn that it's actually not Eve who was deficient. It was Adam. Oh. (laughs) Some of the guys are like, what? Yeah, bro. Means that he was the one who was deficient. And so God created Eve. The next thing that we see is in Genesis 1, 28 and Genesis 2, 15. I won't read from them directly. We see that God commands them to be fruitful and to multiply. That's Genesis 1. In Genesis 2, God puts man into the garden and he says, your job is to work and keep it. That God gave Adam responsibility, but it wasn't just responsibility to work with his hands. It was responsibility to protect, to nurture, to lead. The role of spiritual authority was given to Adam. The climate of what our life is going to look like in light of who God is was given to Adam. Does that mean that Eve uh, wasn't going to rebuke him or, or maybe, hey, I disagree with this? Uh, no. But that role was given to Adam, and she was to fill his deficiency. But then what happened in chapter 3? We sinned. And if you look at Genesis 3, 16 to 18, what we see is the effect of sin, specifically in marriage. Let's look at that briefly. Beginning in verse 16. 
God says, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, ladies, your desire is going to be to want to control your husband. You're going to want to push back. You're going to want to buckle. You're not going to want to follow he says, husbands, what your temptation is going to be. And here's, let me just, here's a little nugget, right? Uh, the, the curse of the man or for the men, it's not work, okay? You were, we were working well before we dropped the ball, okay? So don't be like, man, I'm just, you know, waiting for management. No, like work was like, it was something given to us. I would say it this way. Work is not a post-fall curse. It is a pre-fall gift, Okay. So let's say it that way. Now, nevertheless, what we see in terms of the man, he says, man, what your temptation is going to be is to want to dominate over her. And so now as a result of sin, what was supposed to be a reflection of God and what was supposed to be a reflection of submission to one another, like we see in the Trinity, now that was distorted the picture of what it was supposed to look like so that it would point back to God because of our sin has now been distorted. And so now let's fast forward back to 1 Peter when he uh, is talking about submitting biblically. Peter oftentimes pulls from the Old Testament and he's pulling from the Old Testament so as to say, well, let's go back to the beginning so that we can see what it was like. What was it that God intended so that we would have a better blueprint for moving forward? And so that's where we get biblical submission. Submission is a reflection of Jesus to his church. Ladies, hear me on this. Every marriage preaches a sermon. Now that we've looked at what biblical submission looks like and even what it is, when you don't submit, and I would add biblically, but when you don't submit to your husband, you preach a sermon that says Jesus is not worth following. When you don't submit to your husband, you preach a sermon that teaches Jesus isn't worth following. And so now that we have that picture, Peter then leads us into the second exhortation. And I would, I would call this second exhortation, he says, man, so okay, so submit biblically because your marriage is actually missional. It's actually evangelistic. Let's look at the end of verse one going into verse two. So he writes, wives, be subject to your husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. I want to get into that, but before I do, this is something that's going to come up several times in the sermon. We talked about this last week and the week before. There is this word, this Greek word called kalos. Remember, we talked about that last week. Kalos means that our conduct reflects uh, our creator. It reflects our, 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 our beholder because the conduct is, is noble and attractive. This is something that he is addressing with women, and this is something that he will address with men, that we are to demonstrate kalos. In this context, he is speaking to wives who are married to a husband who is not a Christian. That wasn't necessarily uncommon in his time, but what is so kind of cool about this is Peter is not like, um, 
He's not, he's not speaking a harsh word to women. In fact, he is encouraging his sisters because in this culture, women were not only often oppressed, but they weren't addressed. And so Peter is addressing his sisters and giving them exhortations, especially if their husbands don't know who Jesus is. And so Peter is ultimately telling him two things. He said, man, my desire for you is to demonstrate kalos a conduct that reflects the creator because that's who you belong to, a conduct that reflects the creator because it is noble and it is attractive, a conduct that will maybe win him over to the Lord, a conduct that speaks so highly of Jesus, he cannot ignore it. And he goes on to say that demonstrate kalos, right? It's because you first belong to God and this brings glory to God and that your husband may be won over to God. But more than that, your marriage is missional. Your marriage is missional. Now, we can look at just this verse and look at how Peter is addressing just the husband and wife, but it doesn't end there. Your marriage is missional. You preach a sermon about Jesus all day, every day. Further, this doesn't, this exhortation, this encouragement does not exclude wives whose husband is a Christian. Here, Peter is addressing wives whose husbands aren't Christian. He is saying, man, how you love them, how you respect them, how you serve them is going to preach a sermon about Jesus. And hopefully they will be won over to him. On the other sense, we could look at wives whose husband is a Christian. And if the goal is, or the, the, the main idea is that every marriage preaches a sermon, what is it that you're preaching to your husband now? Is it encouraging? Is it comforting words? How do you demonstrate kalos to your husband who may know the Lord? Here's, here's one of the things that I often see when we've done uh, counseling. I've seen some men begin to lead, and okay, man, God has called me to lead, and God has called me to love my wife sacrificially, and so what men will do is they will begin to step forward, and they will begin to do a couple of things, and they're trying to change things up, and maybe they drop the ball, and what ultimately happens is their wives will tend to come alongside of them and say, good, you failed again. That is not demonstrating Kalos. And if our marriages, the goal is to preach, or our marriage is designed to preach a sermon about Jesus, oftentimes when that happens, when there is a lack of encouragement, a lack of comfort from wives to husbands, what that preaches is God through my wife is actually just a disciplinarian. Every marriage preaches a sermon about Jesus, and every marriage is missional. In one sense, your conduct is not only going to bring glory to God, but it's going to demonstrate uh, the person and work of Jesus in you that it can't be ignored. But that same thing applies that if your husband does belong to Jesus, that you demonstrate patience and grace to them 
as they are following Jesus. Because they're going to drop the ball. Your men are going to drop the ball. You can ask my wife. That's number two. Marriage is missional. Number three, I love this one. I love how he words it. I should say it this way, right? Number three, this is going into verses three and four. Number three, here's what I want you to know. So Peter says, man, wives, submit biblically because marriage is missional. And because it's missional, adorn your hearts. Here's what Peter says. He says, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of the hair or of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, excuse me, with the imperishable, underline that word, imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious, right? Here's what, what we need to know. Here's what I would encourage you on, ladies. The culture constantly changes and speaks very loudly. And if you allow it, culture will disciple you. If you allow it to, the culture will disciple you. And so what Peter is saying about the, uh, the external adoring, he's saying, man, as culture speaks loudly, you're going to want to invest in the external I'm telling you not to invest in the external, but to invest in the internal. Invest in the internal. He is saying, ladies, guard and grow your hearts according to the word of God. That's what he's encouraging his sisters. That's what I'm encouraging you as your friend, your brother, your pastor. Guard and grow your hearts, ladies, according to the word of God. God. Let that be your principal area, your, 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 your firm area to receive encouragement, to receive wisdom, clarity, and insight. Man, if you, you follow me on social media, like uh, I post a lot about books. So clearly, I love books. Books are cool, right? I don't want to put my hope in that. I am asking you not to put your hope in some author's opinion about the Word of God. I am asking you to put your hope fully on the Word of God so that you would guard your heart, so that you would grow your heart. Oftentimes, people, and, but in this context, women, will, will invest in the external because, sisters, sometimes what I, what I see when we've, we've hung out, community group and stuff like that, sometimes I see that the lie, I see you buying it. I'm trying to word this correctly, right? But I see you buying into the lie that says, this stuff is what's going to bring me satisfaction, not only in my marriage or just in my walk with God. I, I oftentimes uh, kind of relate this to, some of you may not know, this is an example. You insert your own personal example. Uh, who's heard of CrossFitters? All right. Okay. Here it is. And it's not just them. They're just one of the loudest, right? Okay. <laughs> I mean that like very respectfully, um, kind of. So when it, when, it comes to, when it comes to the world of CrossFit, what, is, what, what makes it so attractive is that it attracts everyday athletes or everyday people, and that's great, right? The average uh, monthly due for a membership is between $80 to $100, depending on where you live, just so that you can join a one-hour class, right? And so 
the thing about CrossFit, however, is no matter how well a person joins a CrossFit gym or a box, uh, no matter how, uh, no matter what their state of mind is when they join, they might they might show up to a CrossFit gym and say, "Man, I just want to get healthy. I just want to lift some weights. I just I just want my life to improve." Like their desire to join may be one thing, but as they go into the culture of CrossFit, it's not a hundred dollars a month anymore. It's now shoes and socks and knee sleeves and shorts and shirts and headbands and competitions. Like, you buy into it. Now, I'm not knocking that, right? It's not only CrossFit gyms that do that. And again, this is merely an example. I want you to insert your own thing. It's not merely CrossFit uh, examples. You could do that with any kind of subculture. But the thing about that is all of the money that's being invested in, it's being invested into something that is external. And so it is a booming billion-dollar industry because we are buying in or athletes are buying in to this culture so that they would say, this is going to bring satisfaction to me. It is through how quickly I do this workout, what color my socks are, what uh, color my shoes are. It, these things, these external things, though good, these things are what's going to bring me satisfaction. It is these things that will help me to belong. It is these things that will help me to finally find my worth and my value. And Peter says, no, I'm not knocking CrossFit, even though it didn't exist, right? He's like, he's like I'm not knocking CrossFit. What, what, or whatever your thing is, whatever your subculture is, whatever your hobbies are. What Peter is saying is, that's not the priority, though. The priority is your heart. But he, and he tells us why. He's not just spitting it out and saying, ladies, go guard and grow your heart. He tells you why. Let's, let's keep going. It's, I think it's in verse 4. He goes on to say, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty. Rewind to chapter one. What is imperishable? It is our sonship. It is that we belong to God and that gift, that precious gift of the gospel is being guarded for you through faith in God right now, making you his. You are in exile right now. You belong to God right now. You are uh, uh, precious in his sight. So I'm not knocking your hobby, but what I am encouraging you, sisters, is to guard and grow your heart according to the word of God. That's where I want you to be. That's where I want you to be. Because Peter says, when you do that, you realize that this imperishable beauty, that is the gospel that is the most precious thing inside of you. And he goes on to say that this is actually precious in the sight of God. I want you to listen to Paul in Ephesians 4. Uh, this is verse 22 to 24. Paul says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. That is what Paul is telling you to put on. He's like, man, if you want to adorn yourself with anything, adorn yourself with the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. That's what Paul is saying, okay? So ladies, let me, let me tell you this. I'm, I'm going to be straight up, right? Here's a tip. The absolutely most intimidating thing to a dude is a woman who knows their Bible. That is the most intimidating thing to a guy. 
It is a woman who knows her Bible. Man, because she is not only grounded in the person and work of Jesus, she knows through biblical example, which is what we're about to get into, she knows through biblical example and godly wisdom what it looks like for a man to be after God's own heart. So when some bro comes up and says, what's up, you're able to push him back. Because you start quoting scripture and all the dudes, including the nerds, get intimidated. I know, because not only was I one of them, but I hung out with all of them, right? I just want to get to know her in community. No, you're scared, <laughs> right? You're scared. So ladies, learn your Bible. Man, learn it. Man, memorize it. Grow and guard your hearts according to the word of God. Otherwise, culture will disciple you. Guard and grow your heart according to the word of God. Here's the last thing for the ladies. This is verses five and six. Here's what Peter says. <clears throat> for, that, we talked about that last week. This is where he's like, because, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. He's pulling from the Old Testament. Uh, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Okay, here, here's what he is saying in, in this section. He's pulling from Genesis 18, right? He's pulling from Genesis 18 here. If you read the story about Sarah and Abraham, it wasn't that their marriage was like the most magical. It was actually one of the most complex in scripture, right? We could talk about that another time. But here's what Peter is telling you, ladies. He is saying, I want you to look to godly women in scripture, He's saying, I want you to look to godly women in Scripture. As he's pulling Genesis 18 from this, where Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, the, the, the context of that Scripture is God is speaking to Abraham, and God is telling Abraham, hey, you're, you're going to have a kid, and, uh, and so I'm going to come back. And Sarah is hiding behind a tent, eavesdropping on that conversation. And as she's eavesdropping on that conversation, she scoffs and laughs and says, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> My Lord won't do that, referring to Abraham. Here's what I want you to know about that, right? Because some of you ladies might read that and be like, I'm not calling them Lord, right? Okay, here's, here's the whole thing, right? <laughs> Here, here's, here's, here's the whole thing about that. Sarah is away from Abraham. Sarah is not in Abraham's presence, and she still speaks highly of him with her language. She still respects him, even though she's disagreeing with what's going on, with the conversation that's going on. Sarah still respects her husband. And so the idea behind looking to godly women as examples, he's saying, man, look to godly women as examples who love, serve, and respect and show honor to their husbands, not just when they're face-to-face, -face, but in particular when the husband's not around. Ladies, do you demonstrate kalos? Do you demonstrate honor to your husbands even when they're not around? Or are you just so upset you just want someone to listen to you so that they'll justify how you're feeling? So that you can say, see, so-and-so agrees with me after six, seven, eight, nine, ten people know. Do you speak with words of respect and honor about your husband even when he's not around? Peter's saying, look to godly examples of women. I'm not saying you're not going to disagree. I'm not saying you're not even going to rebuke your husband. I'm saying, are you demonstrating 
honor even when they're not around. Number two, in light of looking to godly women. So the first one was look to godly women or godly examples of women in scripture. Here would be my, my personal encouragements to you ladies. The next one would be look to godly women in your life. Right, we're, we're a church family. We're constantly in community. And that's what I love, right? We're constantly in community with one another. Look to other godly women in your life. When I was uh, uh, younger, in, in, my, in my 20s, and I was single, and I had zero clue what it looked like to, to not only uh, be a godly man, but also be uh, one day a husband, much less a, a father, the way I learned, um, and, and I think this is a beautiful picture of discipleship, the, the way I learned was that my pastor brought me into his life and into his home so that I would see the good, the bad, and the ugly. Like I'd never seen a man wash dishes for the wife and then take care of the kids and make sure things were done. And like all that was trippy, Right? And I'm certainly not saying that I've arrived, that I have all the answers. I'm not saying any of that. But there were a lot of things that were answered for me because I hung out with other men who were married and had kids, and I got to watch. Slow to speak, quick to listen. Now, here we are several years later. I have a beautiful wife, and I have an awesome husband, and there's a ton of dudes in our church. And so, uh, what? I said husband? Yeah, he's my son. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> And so, so as a result of that, I, I bring guys into our life. And as I bring guys into our life, uh, especially the guys in our community group, have seen the good, the bad, the ugly. They've seen us after an argument. They've seen us when we're flirting and I'm being rejected, right? They've, they've seen us in all, in just like, they've seen us in the ordinary pieces of life like what, what I guess would be considered not special, that that's, I want to bring men into that. And I still do with other guys, right? Like I still want to see how other men love their wives after, you know, 15 years of marriage, after 20 years. I want to see that. All of that to say, all of that to say, ladies, look to godly women in your life. Man, you, you want to learn some stuff about, man, singlehood? You want to learn stuff about marriage? You want to learn stuff about motherhood? Hang out with other women in the church who are single, and maybe they've been single longer, or they're married, or, or whatever. Hang out. Be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. Right? Ask questions. Ask questions face-to-face, not online. Ask questions. Right? And finally, the third thing that I would say is, so look to, to biblical examples, look to godly women in your life. And then finally, women, my encouragement to you would be to disciple other women. That kind of ties into what I just said. But disciple other women. That's something that, that Paul says to Titus, and I believe it's Titus chapter 2. He says that women are to pour into other women, teaching them good, teaching them about God, teaching them about the ordinary facets of life teaching them about all that's going on. One of the largest demographics that we have here at our church is young families who've been married less than 10 years have about that one to three kids and figuring it out and tripping out at the same time. Okay? Ladies, some of those other women need to be discipled. But that's inconvenient. Bring them to my house. It's a mess. Yes, exactly. Bring them into that. 
I'm serious. Bring them into that. They need to see it. They need to see the uh, not Instagram, unfiltered, no hashtag life. They need to, you need to be available to hear the crazy questions, to be able to encourage biblically, to be able to come alongside and encourage and lead them in a way that not only honors them where they're at right now, but also brings glory to God. Disciple one another. There is no elite group. You're it. Disciple one another. Ladies, one last thing, and I'll say it one more time, right? Your marriage preaches a sermon about Jesus, and the most intimidating thing to a dude is a woman who knows her Bible. You don't believe me? Look at Proverbs 31, right? What does she do? She laughs in the face of the future, right? What's the scariest thing to a guy? The future, because he's just thinking about what socks to put on today, okay? You laugh because it's true. Right? Some of the guys are like, no, I thought about that last night. <laughs> cool. All right. And so that's Peter's exhortation to wives. And again, I hope, it, I hope it brings some encouragement. I hope it brings some clarity. But I also know that it might raise some questions. I'd love to hear them. Peter transitions into husbands. Gentlemen, I didn't know you were here. So he says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. All right, gentlemen, ready? Here we go. This is what Peter says. Uh, I love, just like in verse one with the ladies, he kind of pauses, wives, be subject to your own husbands. I want to pause in this section. He says, likewise, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. I love that. I want you to underline your and then wife, okay? The reason for that is because Peter is not saying, I want you to live and love all the women. He's talking about your wife. He's talking about your wife. How you treat your wife tells me a lot about what you think about God. How you treat your wife tells us a lot about what you think about God. And so when Peter addresses live with your wives, he's not saying, hey, go figure it out. Try to Try to figure things out with all these other women and hey, maybe one of them's going to stick. That is the worst thing you can do. And if that's what you call a legacy, then you're a fool. I think one of the worst pieces of legacies, if that's what you would like to call them, and I mean them very loosely, is when I've heard men say, uh, you know, man, you kind of just want to figure it out and date around and maybe this will work and maybe she'll work and maybe that'll work, whatever. And then someday you'll just kind of find one. Great. What you've told me is that you love to objectify women. What you have told me is that one day when your grandkids are sitting on your lap and they want to hear stories about your legacy rather than bulldozing through Normandy, what you're going to tell them is I tried it out, tried a bunch of women until I figured it out. That's like the worst legacy you can live. She says, live with your wife in an understanding way. Additionally, I love the other side of it, right? He says, live with your wife. He's not saying, hey, I want you to play house until you figure it out. 
Gentlemen, sometimes that seems to be like, well, we're married in God's eyes. No, you're not. You're in sin. Cool. Case closed. The other one is, man, let's, uh, man, let me, let me kind of just figure this out. We're, we're kind of moving forward. Bro, dudes, let me, I love y'all. I love, I love you. Come up with a plan. Come up with a plan. And here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying, man, you need to propose tomorrow. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, in your figuring it out, I'm not so sure you're demonstrating honor to her as a sister or even if she is your future bride. So he says, live with your wives, not with women. Live with your wives, not playing house so that you can figure it out and for all of these foolish reasons. And here's the thing, what I love about that is that you can't kick back. You can't like, well, our circumstance is a little different. Like, no, no, it's not. It's not different. You're just lazy, okay? Live with your wives in an understanding way. I think that's the first exhortation. And then he goes on to say, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. I want to talk about that for a little bit. So when he says the weaker vessel, principally what Peter is addressing is physical strength, right? He's addressing physical strength. And I, and I actually want to take this from a journal. This is, I can't really pronounce her name. It's Tia Goose or Tia Gauss. Uh, she, she wrote this article specifically about women in con, uh, combat, but then she also pulled in resources from the Journal of Applied Physiology, and she said a couple of things. She said, men on, men on average carry 26 pounds more skeletal mass than women. She added that women carry 40% less upper body strength and 33% less lower body strength than men. And finally, she closed by saying that men are generally faster. And she uses an example of Florence Joyner, who in 1988 ran the 100-meter dash and was clocked in at 10.49 seconds. That's fast. That record has not been beaten. I don't think it's been beaten by a woman. However, that time would not even qualify her for the 2016 Olympics where the average time by a male for the 100-meter dash is 10.16 seconds or less. That was really fast. Now, real quick, before I get back to you guys, some of you ladies, are you saying they're not strong? No, man, there are some women that are crazy strong. If you want to like learn about some female athletes that are ridiculously strong, Stephanie Cohen, she's from Canada. She runs hybrid strength and conditioning. She just squatted 501 pounds at 123 pounds. Chick is strong. Lydia Valentin is uh, uh, an Olympic medalist from Spain, one of my favorite lifters. Oh my God, she will throw men everywhere, right? (laughs) But here's what Peter is saying as he is addressing just just physiology, right? Peter is not saying that you're stronger because, dudes, gentlemen, listen to me on this. He's not saying that you're stronger because you're better or you're superior. He's saying you're stronger because you're responsible. Because you are responsible. And so that would be my first exhortation to you through Peter. Men are strong and strength can serve Two pur- one of two purposes. may not be the only purposes, but we're going to look at two of them. First one is exploitation. The second one is protection. And so the question for you is, how do you use your strength? How do you use your strength? You see, if you buy into the fact that you're strong and your thing is about exploitation, what that means is a lot of things that you dominate, you intimidate, maybe you're even physically abusive. 
You broaden your shoulders, you bow up, you deepen your voice, you get louder, you neglect. That's, that's strength through exploitation. Or you use your strength as a way of protection. So you protect your wives, you protect your sisters. Right? When we look at Ephesians 5, what we see in Ephesians 5 is that Paul tells husbands, hey, wash your wives in the word. So you're constantly pouring into your wives biblically. You're constantly protecting them emotionally, not just physically. And you're not just providing for them provisionally through finances, but you're providing for them because you're sacrificially loving them and meeting their needs, not just their material needs. And if you buy into the lie, well, this is just the way we've always done as a reason to exploit her weaknesses and abuse your gift of strength, then you are a fool and therefore repent. You're either going to use your strength for one of two things, exploitation or protection. How do you use it? You can't back off and you can't say, I don't have either one. You have them. It's either going to be for exploitation or for protection. What do you use your strength for? Here's number two. Peter says, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel. So number two is showing honor. Here's that word again, kalos. Kalos. Demonstrating a conduct that reflects Jesus to your wife. I mean, you want to know what that looks like? Look at Ephesians 5, right? It's sacrificially loving her. It is denying yourself on the daily so that she would thrive, so that, man, she would be grounded in her identity in Christ, so that her love for you would grow. You're demonstrating honor. You're showing honor through Kalos. Gentlemen, the most attractive thing to a woman is a man who knows his Bible. Now, check it. Some of you might say, well, I do know my Bible. Colossians 2, Paul talks about walking in a manner, right? Walking worthy in a manner according to God as a result of what God has done and what you are doing. Just because you read books, that just means you're a really good professor. Right? Yeah, I'll listen to the sermon later. No, no, no. Demonstrating Kalos is day in, day out, as soon as you wake up, as soon as you go to bed, it's going to be inconvenient, it's going to be hard, it's going to, yeah, it's going to be all of those things. And that's what Peter is saying you're called to. You're called to demonstrate kalos. Number three, he doesn't necessarily, well, I guess you would say it this way, he does end with an exhortation, right? So he says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Um, talks about strength. He talks about demonstrating honor. And then he kind of gives a consequence. It's a strong word. He says, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. That, man, as your wife who also knows Jesus, man, she, will, she belongs to Jesus. And he goes on to say, so that your prayers may not be hindered. When you treat your wife like trash, even 
now, and I've said this in the past, even now you may like give her a look, you might put your hand on her leg and say, we're not going to talk about this. We're not going to do this. When you treat your wife like that, not only is your relationship with God affected, but he doesn't hear your prayers. That's from Psalm 85, I think. He doesn't hear your prayers. See, a marriage is a reflection of the glory of God, which is a reflection of how you husbands view God. See, if you ignore your bride, the sermon that you preach, gentlemen, is that Jesus ignores his bride. When you ignore your wife, you preach a sermon that says Jesus ignores his bride. And then you might even talk about it at community group or one-on-ones or whatever that looks like. And you might say, man, I just struggle. It's not struggle if you're repeatedly giving in. It's not struggle if you're just giving in. That's not fighting sin. That's just giving up. Right? Marriage, the aim of marriage is to demonstrate the glory of God. And if that is true, then gentlemen, you must first know God if that's what you're going to be reflecting. Marriage is to be enjoyed. Marriage is also a responsibility. And it's also a reflection of the glory of God, not the self-glory of ourselves. As exiles, here's where I would close. As exiles, our marriages preach a sermon about the person and work of Jesus. It's going to preach a sermon to one another, and it's going to preach a sermon to a culture that does not know Jesus. So whether you're at home, which is where the gospel should begin, whether you're at home or outside of the house, you preach a sermon all day, every day. And so my encouragement to you as you're a Christian would be to surrender your personal glory. Surrender your self-righteousness. Repent of your sin. Trust in Jesus and reflect His glory, His honor, and purpose. And if you don't know Jesus, here's the thing. You cannot know Jesus and still have a successful marriage. But this is kind of, it is. You cannot know Jesus and still have a successful marriage. However, the motivation will be self-centered glory and achievement, not God-honoring glory. And as a result, you will always fall short. Repent and trust in Jesus. Last thing. Hear me on this, everybody, whether you're married or single. Everyone preaches a sermon about Jesus all day, every day. Let's pray. God, as we uh, close our time, um, as we close our time, number one, we, we just thank you for allowing us to gather, to worship, and listen to your preached word. But in addition to that, man, sometimes that can sound kind of heavy, that our lives preach a sermon about your son, Jesus. Lord, not only is that a great honor, that's a great responsibility, and, uh, uh, 
And sometimes I think that might come across as very intimidating, whether we're married or not. But, but the beauty of your gospel is that your grace is continually being poured out onto us. So even if we do, or better yet, even when we do fail, we can get up and place our trust in you and continue to move forward, bringing you glory. See, the Christian life isn't so much about what we uh, have to do, but it is primarily about what you, God, have done for us in Christ. May that be the, the, the cry of our hearts and like, like James uh, introduced earlier from Psalm 139, may you search the depths of our hearts. May you expose these things to us so that we would repent of our sin, trust in Jesus, and move forward as we preach a sermon. God, we thank you for this time as we move into tithes and offerings. God, this is where we give you our stuff. This is where we're not tied down by material things, that we are aware that the adorning of our hearts is grounded in your word. And so as a result, may you give us wisdom, insight, and understanding um, with these finances, that they would bring you glory, that they would be for the good, not just of our church, but to our city and our community. God, we love you and we thank you for this time. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.